Hi, I'm Suraj Partha. Welcome to Art in All Its Forms. Part three, so close yet so far away. I've been auditioning for acting roles for over a decade, which just feels crazy to say. And I've had my fair share of successes. I just have to say that because I'm so much luckier than most. I've had the chance to work with incredible actors, writers, and directors on amazing projects like Ender's Game or Modern Family or Master of None. I have representation, an agent, a manager, people who are able to go to bat for me and get me in the rooms of the best and most well-known casting directors in the world. I've auditioned for Marvel, I've auditioned for Grey's Anatomy, huge TV shows and films, and I've gotten close to many of those roles. So it feels really weird to complain at all. And I hope I'm not doing that. At the same time, this job can be very hard especially in terms of how often you face rejection and how difficult it is to maintain a sense of self-confidence and self-worth. Much of the audition process can be about vanity and the amount of times people can't give you a role because you're too tall or too short or too skinny or too old or too young or too brown is staggering. And you audition a lot. One actor said that Uh, His job is 90% auditioning, 10% acting. And I've definitely found that to be true in my experience. Uh, But you know, I've gotten used to this. And I feel like to some extent I've gotten inoculated from the pain and the hurt of getting rejected uh, for a role that I really wanted. I was joking with a friend of mine who uh, isn't in this industry at all. She was going in for some job interviews and uh, I think maybe she had gotten in for three or four of them and it hadn't gotten a job. And she said, wow, this is really, really tough. And I mean, of course, it is really tough. And I, I don't want to deny anyone's uh, hurt or pain when it comes to uh, getting rejected or, or not getting a, a job that they really wanted. But for me, I, I audition for roles sometimes one, two, three, four times a week. Uh, and 98% of those jobs I never get. And you don't even get so much as a, a courtesy call, like, hey, you did a great job, but we just, you're not right for the role. You don't get any of that. You just have to keep moving forward. Sometimes it's, you know, it's months and months and months you don't hear about something. Uh, and then you, you're like, oh, I guess I didn't get it. Or worse, you see it on TV and you see the person who actually got the role that you wanted. And that can be a really tough experience. But I've found that actually the hardest experience is when you get really, really, really close to something and then it all slips away. And that happened to me recently. And that was kind of the the impetus for this project, uh, the art of the setback, this series of episodes, was just trying to talk with other people and just hear their stories and maybe even get a little bit of advice and a little bit of consolation about my particular situation. So I originally was gonna have a conversation with someone and tell them this story of what happened to me back in January. Uh, But I felt like that would be a little self-indulgent, or at least I don't know how I might have that conversation. And so 
I'm just going to tell you about it. So back in January, I had auditioned for, actually, it all starts back in December. I had auditioned for a Netflix TV show. And uh, it was a straight to series, which basically means that they weren't just going to shoot a pilot and then wait to see if it was good. They were actually going to just shoot that whole season and basically put it out on Netflix, which is becoming more and more common these days in comparison to maybe 20 years ago when there were TV pilots that were on networks like ABC or CBS. They would test out the pilot, see how it went, and then order the season. Now it's much more common for Netflix basically to just uh, make the investment in one big chunk. Like, here you go, let's put a season of content on Netflix. No big deal. So when you see these straight-to-series roles, you're even more excited because you're like, oh, wow, Like I'm definitely going to get the chance to work uh, for an extended period of time. And this show, uh, I won't talk about it too much because I, I imagine I've signed some non-disclosure agreements, but essentially uh, it was based on a book and I, I read the book and it was really cool and the script was great uh, and I thought I had a shot at this role. And I think they were even looking for uh, an Indian American person or someone uh, of Middle Eastern descent. So whenever I see that, I'm like, oh, well, I definitely will get a good shot at this. So anyways, I, I taped for it. There are no in-person auditions during COVID. And I sent in the tape, felt that it was really uh, a cool role, felt that I, I did a good job in terms of my performance. And uh, yeah, I sent it off and didn't hear anything before the Christmas break and thought, okay, fine, well, whatever, on to the next one. I tend to have a short-term memory with these things because, you know, you've done this so many times and you know that, yeah, you may never hear back about it. So I had forgotten about it. And then in January, uh, my manager called me and he said, hey, uh, I happen to know, like, you're still in the mix for this role. And I happen to know uh, the showrunner's agent. So I want to send your tape again and try and send it a different direction. Instead of getting it to the casting director, I'm going to try and send it to the showrunner and see if we can uh, get some movement in terms of your uh, chance in getting this role. So I said, okay, I sent him off the tape. And a week went by, and you know the anticipation's kind of building. I want to hear what happens. And my manager calls me back, and he says, uh, after a week, he calls me back, and he says, hey, uh, this isn't going to proceed forward. Like You're, you're not going to get this role. And I said, all right, that, that's totally fine. And then he stops for a minute. He says, okay, I don't like telling clients this, but I'm going to tell you because I want you to know how much you're on the right track with your auditioning. And he said, you were the number two choice for this role. There was you and there was someone else. And it was between you two and someone else got it. And on the phone, I made like a, a very loud audible, ah, <laughs> which, you know, it just, I think it like, it just sort of came out involuntarily. And he just said, yeah, I know, I know that that hurts. Um, but I just wanted you to know that because you're doing a great job with these roles. Every tape you've been sending in has been really good. And I want you to know that you're on the right track and you should keep doing what you're doing. And I said, yeah, of course, I, I completely understand. Uh, thank you for letting me know. Like, that's super exciting that I am getting closer and closer to these roles. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. No worries. This happens all the time. And I got off the phone and, and I felt okay about it. 
And then I woke up the next day and I think somehow things settled in a little bit more. And it was really a bad week, like a bad next week where every day I was kind of like pondering and like lingering on this idea of oh, how my life could have changed if I had gotten this role. I mean, the show, it shot in Vancouver in Canada. And I was like, oh my God, I want to like spend six months in Canada. That would be like amazing. Um, I also haven't booked something in a while, I feel like, even though I've done like little movies here and there, it just hasn't felt really fulfilling necessarily. And so part of me was just like, oh, I want like the dam to finally break so I can get something. Uh, and then the third thing for me was, was that I feel like I'm ready. And this is something that I think artists have to deal with all the time. It's like, I know I'm ready to do this. I know I can do this job. I just need someone to give me a shot. And that's been said a million times. But I've got to say, like, in the last maybe two or three years, I have worked really hard to be the best actor I can be, be the best artist I can be, really try to engage myself in um, trying to understand all the facets of this job, and even more, just trying to, like, stay busy, work on a podcast, work on a newsletter, work on my music, work on reading, uh, all of these things I've, I've put together and it's still not happening. And this was like a week of me in this zone. And that was when I sort of conceived of this episode. I was like, okay, I definitely have got to talk to some other artists about how they have felt and and get a little bit of like good energy from them some good vibes from them and at the same time like just to to chronicle for you guys for my listeners how difficult it is to make it as an actor to make it as a creative in this industry this is a job that isn't always forgiving and, and again, it's not like it's manual labor. I'm not saying it's like neurosur- you know, it's not neurosurgery. It's not uh, working on an oil rig. I, I don't want to overstate like how difficult it is. I, I want to make sure that you know, people understand that I do have a privilege. But at the same time, it's most jobs, you just don't get rejected this often. And they're not as connected to your identity as a person. It's just really hard when you are vol- you're your job is to be vulnerable and it's to put on a performance that like speaks the truth and you have to try to emote and and really tell a story. And, and telling a story authentically means involving yourself as much as you can. So when you involve yourself that much in something and you put all your passion and your effort into it and then it results in what seems like nothing happening, that is, in my view, just a really hard thing to deal with. And I've gotten better at it over the years, but of course, it still affects you sometimes. So anyways, I felt this for about a week, and then I was like, you know what? It, it's time for me to, to move on. It's time for me to look at the next role and get excited about that. It's time for me to read. It's time for me to meditate a little bit. And it was also, I think, a sign that I had to get myself engaged in other projects, and I'm really glad that I've been doing this newsletter and doing this podcast. It's been a great way for me to talk to other artists, to feel inspired, uh, and uh, to, to keep myself ready so that when the next role comes along and the next audition comes across my desk, that I'm ready to be just as excited about that one and feel that I have a shot at that. And uh, all I can say is I just hope that 
I'm in the position to, to tell stories on television or in film very soon. Uh, and in the meantime, I'm going to keep telling stories in, in any medium I can. All right. Act four, Proud of Friends. I first met Aramis Knight working on Ender's Game with him. And uh, he was 12 years old and I was 14. Yeah, I turned 15 on set. Aramis is just a, a really awesome guy. He's very energetic. Uh, he's just a fun person to talk to. Uh, I feel like he's grown up so much in the time that I've known him. I know that might be a little weird for him to hear, but I do have to say that I felt like, you know, we've in some ways we've grown up together and it's been really exciting to see the work that he's done on television and in films. So I have to start off by saying that Aramis uh, is going to be in a new Marvel TV show coming out really soon called Miss Marvel, which is just super, super exciting. I, I really don't know how to express how freaking excited I am for this show, and you should be excited for this show too. It features a lot of actors of Indian or Pakistani uh, descent. Aramis is of Pakistani descent. It's his father's side of the family. Anyways, Aramis and I couldn't really talk much about that project because he signed a, a billion non-disclosure agreements. Um, but I actually wanted to speak to Aramis about something different. Many years ago, he had auditioned for a Steven Spielberg TV show. And I had heard about this long, drawn-out audition process, and Aramis really wanted this role, and then he didn't get it. And then, like six months to a year later, he ended up getting a different TV show on AMC called Into the Badlands, um, which you guys should also watch. There's some incredible martial arts sequences in that show, which uh, Aramis is completely a part of. It's really amazing. But anyways, what I wanted to talk to Aramis about, apart from just sort of catching up with a friend, uh, was how he dealt with that, with that rejection of, of being really close to a great role with one of the most important directors of the, of the last 50 years, um, and then not getting it. How did he recover from that? And then on top of that, I think, to be honest, I, I wanted a little bit of hope, a little bit of faith. Uh, talking with Aramis means talking with someone who has found some real success in this industry and has had a couple of now leading roles on great TV shows. He's an example of someone who has worked persistently at this since he was a kid and is now reaping the rewards of that work and is seeing some of that. Aramis' story helps me have a little more faith and a little more hope that as long as I keep acting, as long as I keep learning, as long as I have my head on straight and I'm strategic and I'm careful, but I'm also just joyful and passionate, that it'll happen. I'll find my place. Aramis spoke to me from Thailand where he's shooting Miss Marvel. So tell me about auditioning for, well, first of all, tell me what Red Band Society was and then tell me about auditioning for it. Uh, Red Band Society was, I believe it was a Fox show uh, and it was straight to series. I think they had 10 or 13 episodes uh, greenlit already. Mm -hmm. uh, it was uh, executive produced by Steven Spielberg, who, you know, obviously is is one of the goats of our generation. But uh, his his TV resume hasn't panned out so well for him so far, which uh, is is quite to my delight, considering I was, uh, you know, turned <laughs> down for the role. But uh, <laughs> it's a little bit salty there. 
a little bit salty, but uh, I mean, I'll do one of his movies if he asks, I guess. <laughs> but uh, so, uh, Red Band Society. So I think I had auditioned for it. I was probably uh, 14 years old, 13 years old. Uh, maybe I was a bit older, maybe 15 or 16. Uh, and I was just coming off of, uh, you know, Ender's Game, which we did together. Right. And um, it had been a long time since I had worked after Ender's Game because... Uh, I think, you know, as all of our expectations were, they were, you know, extremely high for what that was going to do for our career. And um, obviously other movies in line with uh, Summit Entertainment at the time were like garnering offers to all of the characters involved. So right. I think we were all sort of expecting that. But when, you know, Ender's Game didn't do as well as it was uh, immediately thought to do, uh, I was left kind of in a place of feeling like, okay, I got to kind of start from square one. And uh, that's, that's really hard to do, especially at that age, because you're coming into this like not so kid era of your life, but you can't work the hours of an adult. So mm-hmm. you know, every actor will tell you like from 14 to 17 is like the, the hardest time to be able to, to book any roles really. Uh, and I had auditioned for Red Band Society. I think I had went into two or three, you know, auditions and callbacks. And then I was asked to test. And I remember going into the test and only the casting director being there, but there being uh, sort of a wall that was like, uh, it, it looked almost like a mirror, like a smoked mirror. So I had a bit of an inkling that there was, there was possibly people on the other side of the wall who were watching me. Is that normal for a test that they're that like secretive about who's watching the test? I'm not too sure. I know for sure that uh, the casting director was not the only person there watching me simply because, I mean, any screen test, normally all the producers are there. And it's hard to tell if, you know, Spielberg himself was, was there or watching, but I'm sure he was tuned into the meeting one way or another. I, I don't, I don't specifically remember my audition and how it went and how I felt about it but I definitely thought that I had a good chance to get the role and then I would say probably you know two weeks three weeks later I had heard that I hadn't gotten it and um, some other guy much older than me had had booked it and I was I was devastated about it like uh, I was really questioning if this was the industry I wanted to be in I was questioning myself uh, after, you know, the rejection of, of Ender's Game not doing things for our career that maybe we thought that it would. Yeah. Uh, it just felt like really like the nail in the coffin of like my confidence in myself, my uh, ability to be able to continue working. And um, as a young kid, I like, I never stopped working because it's so much easier, you know. Uh, it's like if, if you have a resume and you've built up a resume, it's almost like a no brainer to hire this kid. Cause it's like, he's been on set. He's not going to be a crybaby. Like, no, we don't really need that much from him other than, you know, to be the cute, cute, someone's kid or someone's son or. No, I, I you know, I, when I talk to people sometimes and they ask me about like acting at 12 or 13, I said, you know, it's, it's really not that difficult even at 12 or 13 to get an agent. If you're, if you can just memorize lines and you can, sort of have some basic intention behind them and you're easy to work with. And usually it's also if your parents aren't crazy, right? Because sometimes you can see, like have really like helicoptery parents and stuff and agents are immediately they can see that and they're like, ah, we don't want to have to deal with this, you know? 
Yeah. In the beginning, I, I felt like, you know, it was easy to work. I had, I'd worked. I mean, there really wasn't a month where I wasn't working on, you know, like a guest star, a co-star or uh, commercials. I mean, I did a, a shit ton of commercials as a child. So I was really used to, you know, getting home from school and getting the call from my mom, like, oh, like you booked this, you booked that, you know, you're going to be out of school for the next week. And uh, that was something I had really become accustomed to. And then once you reach that age where, you know, being cute isn't enough and, you know, whatever resume you have is considered in the past, you really, it's a proving ground for yourself. Mm. And uh, I think uh, at the time I was really wondering if I was going to be able to cross over as an adult actor, which, which, you know, most, most people, uh, if they're child actors, I mean, I would say most of them aren't able to make that crossover because they aren't able to bridge the gap of that like confidence lost in the years that you aren't able to work as much. And then after Red Band Society, uh, I would say probably within six months, um, I had auditioned for a show called Into the Badlands. And I remember reading the pilot, which at the time was sort of just like a working uh, storyboard, like working script to sell the show. It was also straight to series, uh, six episodes for AMC. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading it and thinking it was so cool. Like this like post-apocalyptic, like martial arts show, having watched, you know, Breaking Bad. I remember speaking to my mom and saying, wow, I could only dream of getting an AMC show. I swear I said this, and this is easy for me to say now because it happened, but I swear I said this. Mm -hmm. I said, it would be such a dream come true to be able to get an AMC show. Not only would I be on this like insanely high quality network, but I would also have job security of being on a show for multiple years and I won't have to audition and I won't have to do all these things that test my confidence so much. Right. Basically I had auditioned for Badlands, and I remember going in and just feeling a little bit off, like maybe I didn't know enough about the project. Maybe they didn't know enough about the project. I just, I got that feeling that there was like something not meshing between me and the, the casting directors. And I remember calling my agents and saying, you know, that didn't go as, as well as I would have liked it to. And I really like this show. You know, these, these type of shows are few and far between where a kid my age gets to play such a cool new character in a really original show and also, you know, have this much workload to actually be able to be like one of the leads, not just someone's kid. And I said, Hey, like, can you guys please get me back in that room? Like, I felt like it was really early in the process and I feel like I could do better. And I think I'm really right for this. So they were like, yeah, yeah, of course, you know, as every agent and manager does. And <laughs> I heard nothing about it for months and months and months. And I remember sitting in a hot tub, with some of my uh, other actor friends at, at one of my actor friends' house. I, I won't name him because we're not really great friends. He was talking about Badlands and he was talking about how he had tested for Badlands and how it was like his dream role, how he like went method for it. He was like sleeping in his backyard and, <laughs> and that he had tested for it and he hadn't booked it because they didn't find the right guy for it. And I remember after that night, I was like, shit, Badlands. Oh, I remember that show. Like that would have been a dream boat. Mm -hmm. And everyone's talking about this character specifically, MK, because, you know, he's, he's number two on the series. Literally without calling my agents, without calling my managers, a week later, I get a call directly from uh, someone named uh, Orly Sikowitz is her name. She's a, she's a really good casting director. I've, I've even seen her since and tried to work on other stuff she's done since. It just didn't work out. But um, I got a call from her like, hey, Aramis, like, 
we want you to test for Badlands. We have a few boys coming in and, uh, you know, we just want to send you straight into a test. So I was like super stoked about it, obviously. Uh, it felt like it was kind of meant to be having talked about it so recently. Like it was literally within the week that, that I was speaking to this show about my friends and it had been uh, about the show to my friends. And it had been, you know, six months since I had even thought about it since then. Yeah. So it really felt like it was meant to be. And within, you know, two days I was going into tests and I was testing with Daniel Wu, who, you know, played Sonny. And he was also executive producing it. And, um, you know, it just, it felt right. Like, it just felt like mine. And when I got into the room, I had this real sense of, of self that, uh, you know, you don't always feel with, with audition rooms. Like a lot of times you're sort of projecting what you think they want to see or hear. Uh, but for me, I was like, I was really, I don't know. I just felt in tune with what I was doing. And I felt in tune with Daniel Wu, the, the guy I was, I was doing my test with. Mm. By the time I had left, uh, I just, I kind of felt it. I, I knew that it was mine. So tell me about that a little bit. So, cause you had, like you were saying that there's sort of this crisis of confidence moment where you, you're sort of struggling to figure out, okay, like, can I make this crossover? And, and what changes from, from that point to, to now, or is there not really a change? It just happened to be specific to that role or. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's a change as much as it's like how you deal with the rejection mm -hmm. and how you deal with the, the role at hand. Um, for me, as I've gotten older, uh, one thing I found that helps a lot as an actor is getting off of social media, not being so uh, not being so inclined to, you know, posting what people want to see and kind of taking the influencer out of acting. And uh, having a, a sense of what you bring to any production with your, you know, your acting ability, uh, your, your willingness to work, uh, your willingness to like do anything, you know, I'm a win at all costs type. And I know that about myself. And, you know, I know if, if somebody is going a million miles, you know, I'll go a million and one miles. So for me, I think there's a lot of confidence in that knowing that I'm willing to push myself as, as hard as I need to. I actually read a book that one of my acting mentors had uh, told me I needed to read. It was about finding a talent for your talent. And, and the book was called Zen and Archery. Yes, my God. I cannot believe you just said that. That's incredible. Yes, Zen and the Art of Archery. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's basically about, you know, how archers have to do, you know, all this work to become amazing archers. And there's so much technicality to, you know, shooting a bow and arrow. But by the time that they get up to the line to, you know, put all their work, uh, put all their work into something that matters, they have to, you know, take a deep breath and let go of the bow. And it really opened my mind to, to so much stuff. Like, I think with everything, it applies to everything in life. Like, uh, you know, I love playing basketball. Like when you go to the free throw line, like you got to take a deep breath, go through your routine and take your shot. And uh, it's, it's the same thing with acting, you know, when, when you get to the room, you know, you know, you've put in the work, you know, you know, your lines, you kind of separate yourself from the anxiety of what are they thinking of me? And you just sort of go within yourself. You find the Zen within yourself and uh, you're able to just kind of give them exactly what you want to give them, put them on your time. Marlon Brando always said that like, uh, or it's one of like the big things that he'd said that had stuck out to me is like, when you're acting, like put them on your time, like you're on your timetable, you know, nobody mm -hmm. else is around They're on your watch. 
And uh, I think not only does that apply to you being in a scene, but it also, you know, can apply to, to anything in life. Like, you, you know what you're worth, you know yourself and you know your worth and, and there's no reason to change yourself for anybody. I think, like, as you said, as, as we're getting older now, we're realizing more and more that if you look to Hollywood to dictate your, like, where you are, then you have a real problem because you'd never know when something's going to hit or something isn't. I mean, like, Spielberg has a TV show. You'd, you'd think that a Spielberg TV show is going to go crazy, but it, it doesn't. And so you kind of have to just ride the wave, continue to, like, be good at what you do. And at the end of the day, just have some faith that it will work out in the end, which is really tough. Yeah, I mean, especially in this industry, because, you know, in most industries, you can kind of control the outcome. I mean, not 100%, but I mean, in our industry, you you 0% control the outcome. Like, mm. uh, I mean, you could be in, in the best movie and nobody watches it, or you could be in the worst movie and everybody's freaking out over it. So... There's still a lot of stuff to, to, to deal with involving, you know, rejection. And even when you start to learn these like little nuances of the industry, you still kind of, you know, there's times where you do doubt yourself and you doubt if all the work you put in is even worth it. But uh, at the end of the day, like, got to just have fun with it, honestly. Special thanks to Aramis Knight for talking with me. And it was really just a pleasure to talk with him. After talking with Lauren, Vic, and Aramis, I have to say that I've learned a lot. And it wasn't necessarily an intellectual kind of learning. A lot of what they talked about when it came to rejection and setbacks are, are things that I, I already knew intellectually. But hearing it from their perspective, hearing their various stories hearing every different situation and how the same kinds of principles could apply, it reminded me that this is a process that all artists go through. And that makes me feel very connected to my friends. It makes me feel connected to all artists out there. Uh, that, yes, we all face rejection. We all face setbacks. We all face frustrations in one form or the other. But we also have our friends and our fellow artists to help us when we're down. The fruits of our artistic endeavors are not success or fame or any kind of material object. In some ways, you just have to have, like Aramis said, you have to have fun and just do it. And I am learning more and more every day, struggling to fully integrate it, but learning more and more every day that having fun, finding joy, finding peace with the art itself is the most important thing. And that sounds cliche, but it's true. You have to enjoy going into that audition room. You have to enjoy putting on that character and putting on a performance. You have to enjoy your time practicing the piano. I have to enjoy my time doing my own vocal warm-ups. I have to enjoy those little moments, find peace, find some solace, find some contentment in that. And that's what keeps me doing this. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And stay safe. You can subscribe to Art in All Its Forms, the podcast and the newsletter at artinallitsforms.substack.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast on any of your favorite podcast apps. And if you want to send us a question or comments or concerns, uh, please email us at aiaif.com 
pod at gmail.com. That's A-I-A-I-F pod at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening.